0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. As we've entered into summer, we started a sermon series that we have called You Are Not Your Own, and we've been focusing on the idea that we do not belong to ourselves, but instead, we belong to God. And that idea comes to us first and foremost from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul tells us that we are not our own, but we were bought with a price, and therefore we're to honor God with our bodies. But it also comes to us from a teaching from the Middle Ages, from the Reformation, called the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a series of questions and answers that teaches the basics of the faith, and, and that teaching begins by asking the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer to that question within the Heidelberg Catechism, is that I am not my own, but belong with both body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The message we are told by our culture is we belong to ourselves, that you are your own, and therefore it is up to you to find your own meaning and purpose. And instead, the gospel tells us we belong to God, that we are not our own, and that is a good thing. Because when we understand that, we find our true meaning and purpose. And we started this series with 1 Corinthians chapter 6 by talking about the idea that we belong to God, and therefore we honor him with ourselves. Every part of us is to bring glory to him, and we find flourishing within ourselves when we align ourselves after that goal. We talked last week about our money, about our possessions, and saw that in light of who God is, we are to view our possessions, our money, as a good thing, but not an ultimate thing, something to be used for God's glory because above all else throughout this series we're going to hit the idea time and time again that God has created us for life with him and while there are plenty of good things in this life if we just view them as something for us as opposed to something to be used to the means to the end of life with God we will miss out on the life God's created us for and so as the next step of thinking through that idea for us today we're going to consider uh, the thing that I am assuming that, at least for most of us, is the reason why we have money or possessions to worry about that we talked about last week to begin with, and that is our work. And we all go about work in different ways. It might be with your hands, it might be at a desk, it might be with other people. A lot of us might be directly compensated for that work, although not necessarily but it is all work, and, and so I want to be clear up front, when we're talking about work this morning, I am not just worried about what you might say if someone asks you what you do when you're meeting them for the first time. Uh, that, that's a part of it, where you're employed is a part of it, but our work is so much broader. It is our jobs, but it's also whatever we might expend energy on for the sake of an end goal. And so for some of us, maybe for a lot of us, that means going to an office or a job site for 40 hours a week or more, and at the end of the week or every two weeks or twice a month or whatever, you get paid for it. But for some of us, that means going about the business in retirement, that you think to yourself, how did I have time to work now that I have all this stuff that I'm doing every single day? For some of us, that means raising children so that they're prepared for life as they get older. But no matter how we spend our days, there are things we set our mind, our efforts towards For the sake of some end goal and no matter what that is for you whatever that work is if it takes up a substantial portion of your waking hours like I'm assuming it does that means that it's worth thinking through and thinking through how the message of Jesus applies how we do it because I'm sure we've all experienced work that is not always life-giving there may be days where we say that we love our job. There may be days where we say, well, you know, it's, it's a fine job, but there, I've got a long list of things that make it less than ideal. I mean, sometimes, I, just to make up a scenario, sometimes you go to work and you have a coworker who smells like dead animals because they've been up since 3 a.m. duck hunting. I, I may or may not have experienced that. The, the person that I may or may not be thinking of right now is left for camp and can't respond to what I'm saying. He knows that I was going to throw him under the bus. I just couldn't pass up the opportunity. Uh, My guess is that for a lot of us, even if we like our job, we have a list of things that aren't great about it, or we have a fair amount of days where it just feels like a drag, just something to get through. Maybe you're not thrilled with this topic this morning because you're dreading the alarm going off tomorrow morning already, and this is just making you have to think about it earlier than you had planned maybe for some of us work feels more like an obligation than a joy maybe we don't enjoy the work we do or the people we do it alongside maybe we view our work as a means to an end the end being a paycheck or retirement or that vacation coming up or just getting through this week or just having something to do that's better than sitting at home and all those perspectives are understandable uh, given the fact that we work in a world that has been broken by sin yet That is not all work was designed by God to be. When we read the Bible, we see that work is viewed differently, and that's not because work was a great thing when the Bible was written, and since then we have ruined it. There are plenty of writings in the ancient world that look at work as just this toil that you have to endure because that's just the lot in life you've been given, and you just got to get through it until one day you are going to die, and we might resonate with those feelings when we read them. But when we come to the Bible At the beginning of the story, back in the Garden of Eden, and at the end of the story, when God has renewed and restored all things, at the very end of the book of Revelation, we find work in both places. And so whatever that means, it at least means that work in itself is not a bad thing. God created us for work, not as a punishment, not because he just didn't have a better idea of what we were going to do all day, and so he decided to give us this but because he created us to partner with him in ruling and reigning over his creation. So if work is a good thing, and it doesn't always seem that way, how do we move closer to this good thing that the Bible describes? Well, the basic answer I want to give now and then flesh out the rest of the time we have this morning is to say that we have to understand who we truly work for. You may say you work, you, know, you work for your boss or you own your own business, you work for yourself, you work for the sake of your kids, you work for the sake of providing for your loved ones, whatever it might be, but whatever we might say we do our work for, whatever it is that we do, Scripture would say that we won't fully appreciate, understand it, enjoy it until we understand that we are ultimately doing it for God. And that when we understand that and when we allow that truth to really take hold in our lives, it will transform everything that we do. And that truth is taught in a variety of places in Scripture, but I want to focus today on the letter of Colossians. We're going to pull out just a few verses from there, which are a part of this larger section of teaching that's called a household code. And there are a few of these in the New Testament and other places in ancient literature and really just the main goal of a passage like this is to give some practical application to the teaching that's already been described so as Paul gets here to the end of Colossians 3 the beginning of Colossians 4 he's teaching on who Jesus is and what it means and all of these things and now he is practically putting meat on the bones to say this is what it looks like to live in light of the message of Jesus in your closest relationships And in the original context of the passage we're going to look at today, Paul is speaking specifically to how slaves and masters relate to one another. And because of the history of our own country, because of how passages like this have been misused, it's worth pausing briefly to speak about the issue of slavery in the Bible. Because if we come to a passage like the one we're about to read and haven't done any homework beforehand, uh, we might think Paul is saying something that he is not. We might think that he is condoning some of the atrocities that are in our nation's past. And that's not his point. Uh, Slavery existed in the Roman Empire, in the world that the New Testament was written in, but it was not based on race like the history of our nation. People would enter into slavery either because they were in debt and this was a way to pay it off or because they had been captured in battle or something like that and there were avenues to earn freedom and I don't say that to say slavery was great or anything like that but it was not exactly the same as what has been practiced in our nation and we should keep that in mind because we might wonder as we read this why Paul doesn't say slavery is terrible, why doesn't he go as far as we would go in our own day and that's not a bad question but it doesn't fully take what he says here seriously. Typically, teachings like this, written by others, were written just to the inferior party. So in a passage like this, it would be typical for philosophers or whatever to just tell slaves what they were supposed to do. And the assumption with that is that then their masters can do whatever they want and it doesn't matter. But Paul does something very different. He speaks to both parties and gives them commands for how to live in light of the love of Christ. And if both parties in this relationship are showing one another the love of Christ, it cannot help but destroy a system like slavery based on force and fear from the inside out. So that means that as we come to this passage, Paul is doing something revolutionary in his own day, and he's doing something that I think can revolutionize the way we approach our own work as well. Even if we don't find ourselves in the same cultural situation, We can still read what Paul says here and allow it to inform how we approach our work. So i want to read these verses, pull out a few principles, and then try to apply those to how we go about our work. And as a final disclaimer before we read the text, if you're thinking right now, uh, what does this kid have to teach me about work? He's never had a real job in his life. Just know that there's a part of me that agrees with you. And I'm fully aware that I don't have a real job. I'm grateful that Whitney and Isaac and I get to work here full-time because of your hard work and your generosity. And I'm not up here to tell you how to do your job because you know more about your job than I do. But what I want to do is for us to approach Scripture together and see what it has to say about work in general so that we all might honor God in the work that we do, whatever that work is. So I want to start with Colossians 3. Starting at verse 23, Paul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The work we do is a means to the end of bringing glory to God. The goal of our work is not to get a raise or to be able to afford a a newer car or a bigger house or whatever it might be. It is to use the gifts God has given us for his glory. No matter what our work is, it is always done for the sake of the God who loves us. We live in a world broken by sin, we live in a world where we often find the work that we do to be draining instead of life-giving, but that ideal for work that God gives us is still there. He did not create work as a punishment. He created it as a way for us to partner with him in ruling over and caring for his creation. And when we allow the gospel to speak those truths into the work we do, whatever it is, it transforms our work the meaning and purpose brought to our lives by the death and resurrection of Jesus invades everything we do as a response to what he has already done for us. So as we work, we are not doing it for ourselves, for our company, for whoever it is that we report to. We're doing it to bring honor to the God we worship with every part of who we are. That's what it means for the message of Jesus to invade our work. Not just for the sake of Getting through to the weekend or retirement or whatever it is we think we're working towards, it's all our work is done because one day Jesus is going to return, and when he does, he's going to restore all of creation into what it was originally intended to be. And when that day comes, we will work not out of obligation but out of joy. And so, in anticipation of that day, we work now, we work well now in service to Christ bringing that reality that will one day be here for all of creation into the present so that the message of Jesus can be known more fully in us and in those around us. And Paul wants everyone who reads what he says here, no matter their status, high or low in society, he wants them to grasp this truth so that the message of Jesus can transform their work and how they relate to one another within their work. That's the point he's getting at there in the middle of this passage. In verse 25, he says, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. If we're reading along, that might seem like a random comment, but Paul puts it in there to remind us of who God is so that our work can be transformed. Remember, Paul is speaking to slaves and masters and how they're to do their work and how they are to relate to one another. He wants both parties to remember they are ultimately accountable to God. And the God they are accountable to is the one who sent his son to this earth as a servant. And that's a revolutionary concept. I mean, for a slave reading this, those in the inferior position in this relationship, this means that that there is an end to their work beyond just paying off debts, beyond just mere survival, beyond whatever it might be. the slave was viewed as the property of another person. They were always expected to do exactly as they were ordered, no matter what they were told to do, with the threat of assault or death if they didn't comply to the order. They have no personal agency. I mean, if they act out, if they act against their master, odds are they're going to be punished by their master or by the authorities. I mean, even if they have wrong done to them, even if they're in the right and they're the victim of injustice, there's no authority that's going to take their word over the word of their master. And if that's your reality and the work you do every day, it makes sense to just do the bare minimum to survive. Maybe work as long as there are eyes on you. Stay on the good side of whatever authority it is so that one day you can get your freedom. But it's not worth doing anything beyond that. And to someone in that position, who would seem to have the entire system stacked against them, Paul looks at them and he looks at the work that they're doing and he says, the God of the universe is on your side. And because he is on your side, that changes how you do your work. It doesn't change the fact that you work, but it means that whatever you do, God is watching. And that's a good thing. He will vindicate those who are victims of injustice. He will stand next to them even if no one else will. And because that's the case, they can work well because they are ultimately working for God. For those suffering in their work, Paul reminds them that God is the judge of all humanity and he shows no partiality. He's not going to be bribed. He's not going to, to decide the case based on whether or not the person is better dressed than the other party. He will judge fairly every time and therefore servants can work diligently regardless of whether or not their master deserves it because God deserves it and he will vindicate his people at the end of time, if nothing else, because of the love he has shown his people in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that same logic that transforms the view of work for the inferior party is applied to the superior party as well. Paul says to those who are in charge of other people that there is a final authority in the world and it is not you The common view within the Roman Empire was that in every household there's someone in charge, usually the oldest male of the family, but not always. And the head of that household had authority to do whatever they wanted within the household. No one could ever question them. And to a world where that is the dominant line of thinking, and I would maybe add to our world today where there is a lot of thinking that whoever's in charge can do whatever they want and can't be accountable, Paul says that actually God is in charge. So sure, you may have authority over people over your other members of your household over employees over servants whatever it might be in paul's day or in ours but just because you're at the top of your food chain doesn't mean you are accountable to no one because god rules the top of the organizational chart just like he rules over the bottom of the organizational chart and so those in authority should lead accordingly they should lead in line with the character of jesus Because one day God will return to make all things new and all creation and all humanity will live together in harmony with God. And all people will stand before him and give an account for how they did or did not live in light of who he is. And for all those people addressed in this letter and for all of us, we ultimately will stand before God. And so we should work for the sake of the God who loves us and out of his love entrusts his work to us. And what that means for us is that our work is not wasted. No matter how mundane or point- pointless it might seem. If we believe the message of Jesus, if we believe that he is the Lord of all creation because he has died and risen from the dead, that means he is also Lord of our workplace. So that means our calling is less a matter of you know, finding the one perfect job where we never have to work a day of our life and it's more a task of finding how the Lordship of Jesus transforms what we are doing right now from the inside out. Whatever our work is, we do it for the ultimate sake of service to Christ. When we feel like no one notices or cares about what we are doing, we know that God cares. And that means that our work is not wasted. He sees it and he values it because he sees and values us. And so even if we receive no thanks, no reward in this life, we will receive the only recognition that truly matters, the recognition that comes from God himself, and that is uplifting news. If you feel like no one cares about the work you do, know that God cares. And so your work is not wasted. And on the other side of that, for those that might think they're in charge, no one can tell them otherwise, the message of Jesus humbles us Because it means we're not as in control as we would like to think. It means that no matter who we are, who we report to, or if we have to report to anyone, we will one day report to God about what we did or did not do with what he entrusted to us. So we should work and lead and serve every single day with the awareness that God is the final authority and use the authority he's given us for a time accordingly. And this reality should liberate us to work well. Because our work is not something to be used to find ultimate meaning anymore. It is something God gives us to do that we do well, knowing that he will one day give us the reward we find in part now. Because our work matters. And its effect stretches far beyond what we may ever realize in this life. In 2018, the writer A.J. Jacobs, he wanted to write a book about being thankful. And so he started the project, he said, I'm going to write a book about thanking every single person that, is re- that plays a part in me being able to buy a cup of coffee in the morning. And at first glance, that would seem, at least to me, like a pretty simple task. You go to the coffee shop, you tell everyone that's working, hey, thanks for making this cup of coffee. But then he discovered, well, I guess I have to thank all the people that contributed to making the cup that the coffee gets poured into. And then I guess I have to thank the farmers that you know, grew the coffee beans and roasted them and did all of that, and then I guess I have to thank the truck drivers that uh, delivered all of the supplies to the right places, and then I have to thank the people that built the roads that the truck drivers could drive on, and then I guess I have to thank the police officers who make sure the roads are safe, all that stuff is being delivered, and pretty soon I guess you can turn a whole book out of it based on what research I have done. And that's maybe an over-the-top example but if you think about all the people involved in that process, my guess is very few of them would say that they did whatever job it was that they did so that for the sake of one guy being able to have a cup of coffee in the morning. Like I don't think there was any truck driver thinking there's, there's a writer somewhere that's going to need coffee in the morning, and therefore I have to make this delivery. Yet as a result of their work, that was possible. And if we can think about our work from the perspective of it being done for the sake of the God who loves us, that means that all those little byproducts, things like that, that we might never notice or care about in this life, are seen by God. And so they are worth doing well, even if he's the only one who notices, because the reward we get from him is enough. In the Middle Ages in Europe, there was a clear divide between the secular work and the religious work you know over here you had the secular work you had all the people the kings the soldiers the farmers the people that did all of the all of the work in the real world so that you could keep a society functioning and then over on the other side you had all the people that did the religious work you had the the priests and the nuns and the monks the people that prayed and read their bible for the sake of everyone else But as the Protestant Reformation began, as Martin Luther and other leaders of that movement started studying Scripture and preaching and teaching it, they came to realize that we don't find a distinction like that in the Bible. Martin Luther once said that the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, But by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. The God who created you, the God who loves you, he cares about the work you do because he cares about you. And so he wants you to do it well for his glory. So when it feels like work doesn't matter, when it feels like no one is watching, we remember the one who has said that it does matter and has said that he loves us and will reward us for the work we've done. In his kingdom. So, for each and every one of us, no matter what our work looks like, may we do it for the sake of the God who loves us. For a lot of us, the application from a sermon like this is pretty simple, and it's just that when we go to work tomorrow morning, we should do so remembering that our work matters because it matters to God, and therefore we do it well. But this is not just a message that applies for people that get a W 2 form at the end of the year. Because some of us are retired, the work we do looks far different now than it used to. And that doesn't mean our days are wasted. It doesn't mean our days are just for the sake of leisure. It means our days are a gift to use for the glory of God and to serve those around us. Some of us will wake up tomorrow morning and have a day of caring for someone who can't care for themselves, whether that's a child, a parent, a spouse, or someone else. And as daunting and lonely as those days can be, they are not wasted. They're seen by God, and he commends the work you do, even if no one else does. Maybe some of us feel frustrated because we live in a broken world, and that means we're no longer able to do the work that we love. And the hope of the gospel tells us that God has not forgotten us, and one day we will be restored to use the gifts he has given us for his glory, better than we ever had before. Some of us are students and the work we do is either a part-time job and it's just a way to make money or it's going to school preparing for work in the future. And this season of life is not a mandatory waiting room. It is a place to learn habits and practices that will carry on for the rest of life. So invest well so that you can glorify God in your work for years to come. Because whoever we are and whatever work we do, the calling of Jesus means that our work is done for the glory of God as a response to the love that has been shown to us in Jesus. So no matter what your work is, my ask of you is to do it in light of the fact that Jesus is reigning over every realm of life, even your work. And that should change the work we do, even if it's just in subtle ways. For some of us, it might be something drastic. It might mean I need to go home and wonder if where I work right now is truly honoring to God or if I'm truly using the gifts God has given me to the best of my abilities. But my guess is that for most of us, it might just mean committing to doing the jobs that we have now really well for the glory of God. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're required to put a cross on everything you make, like Martin Luther said. It doesn't mean you're required to leave a Bible verse at the end of every email. It doesn't mean you're required to baptize every patient you care for, every student you have in class, although God would be praised and glorified if any or all of those things happened. But for all of us, the first step we can take is to commit to doing our work for the sake of the God who loves us so that he may be glorified in us now as we look forward to the day when our work will be fully done for him in his presence for eternity. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that loves us and has created us to partner with you in ruling over and caring for your creation. And that looks different for each and every one of us, but God, our our plea is that we would do it for your glory. Whatever it is that we do uh, the rest of today, the rest of this week, God, we place ourselves before you and ask that you would give us wisdom to know how to do what we do well and so that you may be glorified in and through us. Help us be known as people who honor you with our work so that your name may be glorified Uh, wherever that work takes us. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.